The following audio drama is rated PG-13 for parental guidance. My name is Aram, and I'm the co-founder of Dead Ghost Productions. I also do the editing and sound design. My name's Dylan. I'm the other co-founder of Dead Ghost, and I do basically everything else. Welcome to Kill Kill Every Every Monster. Each episode, we're joined by a guest for a deep dive into a classic D&D monster. The first part is a discussion, and the second is a one-shot actual play where our guest takes on the role of the monster. Each episode of Kill Every Monster is a contained story, so you never have to worry about being caught up or listening out of order. For the Tealian episode, we were joined by game master and narrative designer Connie Chang, who reminded us that monsters can be beautiful. For me, is where I, and I think a lot of other queer and trans and marginalized people, find a liberatory means to explore our own identity uh, through monstrosity. By embracing the darkness, by embracing the grotesque, by embracing the ugly, by embracing the thing that is deemed inherently unlovable, we take the ability to create what it means to love, what it means to be beautiful, what it means to be vicious and scary, and we rewrite that on our own terms. That's why there are so many queer monster fuckers. That's why there's so many, like, no, seriously, so many queer and trans and, like, marginalized, um, tabletop, uh, roleplay game players and GMs who are like, let's be the monsters. Why do you think Vampire the Masquerade is so fucking popular, queer. right? Yeah. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, especially among queer people. It's because we get to be the, you know, the mo- the vampire that punches a-, a priest's head off in an explosion of blood. Uh, hello, Catholic trauma. Uh, hello, reclaiming our Catholic trauma, right? And like claim that, yes, I am everything that you are a- afraid of. And I find that beautiful. Like yeah. maybe being trans, maybe being queer, maybe being a person of color isn't such a bad thing after all. Maybe it isn't like, uh, a crime. Maybe it isn't terrible, and maybe it is, and maybe that's beautiful. Uh, because you call me a monster, and I say that that's radiant, and I say that that's divine. Uh, so, from that perspective, yes, uh, I think a Celian is a monster because I think a monster is a beautiful thing to be. For the actual play, Connie's Beast of Omen and Prophecy confronted the arrogance of the average D&D player character. Valor, what makes you think you are the one worthy to architect this new system of life and death? I believe I'm fair, and I believe in my desire to not act, to merely observe. Things will happen as they will. It is not my job to put a feather on the scale, just but I do wish to see it. I do wish to understand it, to peek beneath the curtain and to make sure, of course, everything's running fairly and no one is interfering. Why not conduct an experiment of this using a demiplane and illusions? Why must you exert this upon reality? What is wrong about the way things currently are that you wish to upturn the entire system of celestial order? I can show you the suffering. For a moment, his bravado peels away and there's an actual sadness in his eyes. The world is cruel and frequently run by people who are cruel. 
and have power and money and live long lives because of it. A system like this would balance that. I think your intentions, little one, come from a place of goodness and perhaps from a place of pain as well. But every decision the gods make, where to place a tree, whom to bless with power, what path a child might take, every single little decision generates immense consequence. The river of fate flows in a direction that not even the gods always know where it goes. What you propose could have devastating ramifications for the world. Ramifications none of us could have foreseen. Perhaps then, a contest? A contest. You suggested we make a smaller scale, a trial run, if you would. Perhaps there is some contest we can come up with to see which one of us is correct. Very well. A simulation. We teamed up with the crew of the Split the Party podcast for our Pixie episode as Rom tried making his homebrew ideas official canon. Looking at what I've got here, it's like they array themselves like princes and princesses of the fate. So is this is this a dress up for them or are they actually, you know, do we have royalty pixies or is it all a facade? There was something I read that said up to 70% of pixies refer to themselves as royalty in some way. <laughs> that wasn't a thing you read, Aram. That was when we were talking about them on a stream and you made that up. Oh, was that us? <laughs> that was just... <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> I just quoted myself. Not even a thing you wrote. <laughs> just a thing you said once. Matt was then joined by George and Benji as they became members of Pearl, the Pixie Extraction and Recovery Legion, tasked with rescuing their fellow Fae held captive by nefarious wizards. These badges allow you to communicate to each other. If you tap them and talk aloud, they will talk to any other Pixie within a mile. So you can always be in communication with each other. They also have the effect of a brooch of shielding. Oh. Which most importantly means that you cannot all be wiped out with magic missile at just the wave of a hand. <laughs> Otherwise, this would be a very short encounter with any wizard. <laughs> Before they had invented the brooch of shielding, they had to send you out in four-person units, <laughs> specifically because a first-level spell slot leaves a survivor. My pearl badge is telling me there are hot singles in my area. <laughs> it also does that, yes. Yes, it does. There is a lot to love in our episode about teleporting puppers, but Dylan couldn't let go of one thing he hated, flumps. It'd be one thing if this was something that was like grandfathered in. Like, I think this would be a fair way to treat the flump because it's worthless in fiction. So mean. And is a bad monster. So mean. And was poorly designed. There's nothing good about a flump. So if you just threw it in the back and were like, here, you little shits, there's a flump. You happy now it's in the book? That I could work with. You've already done a flump episode, I believe. Mm -hmm. He was Which... this mean throughout it as well. Wow. And it was warranted. And all the parts I cut. <laughs> there were bits that he cut that was just me swearing because I had to talk about a flump for too long. 
<laughs> uh, it's just getting it out. Rom continued to annoy me by abusing the spell Druidcraft in increasingly absurd ways. And then to cover our escape, I used Druidcraft to create a tiny, harmless sensory effect that predicts the weather. <laughs> it will be in our location. This is part of Druid. This is part of Druidcraft. No, that's not why it I'm looking at you like that. The weather will be for the next 24 hours. Oh, so I swoop in. And I'm just like... And this little image Today of will be sunny, sunny and mild, with a high of 74 degrees. degrees and a low of 42 overnight. <laughs> like, let's go! Model and cosplayer Harley Kane took on one of the most infamous D&D monsters, the Tarrasque. And I had a few ideas about how you could change up the Tarrasque's origin. It should grow. I do like the idea that the Tarrasque is almost this indefeatable, Godzilla-like creature that you can keep pushing it back down, but it'll keep coming back up. A Tarrasque is not native. You're right, Dylan. It's alien. It is a totally alien creature. The way it got here is that its eggs that are nearly indestructible soar through space until they find a planet or contact a planet or are somehow drawn in by it and then slam into the surface go deep under the crust where the egg eventually hatches and the larva swims around for dozens, maybe hundreds of years, maybe a millennia as it grows into this more lizard-like bipedal monster. And when it comes to the surface, it's small and it's young and it eats and it grows and it goes back down. And as it gets larger, its visits become more frequent and more destructive as it grows and grows and consumes more and more until finally it is so massive that it's consuming whole cities every time it comes up. And then it goes away and it stays away and everyone thinks they're safe except it's laying its eggs. And once its eggs are laid, it swims to the core of the planet and takes in a critical mass of energy until it explodes, shattering the planet and rocketing its eggs, which have been incubated in the heat of the core out into the coldness of space so they can find their own planets and start the cycle all over again. Despite our hero's best efforts, they learned that not every adventure is a successful one. The city of Waterdeep has always been a hub for events, be it a mad mage taking over an old dungeon, ancient masked lords running the city like a cartel. That one time a beholder became a mobster. 
The city is busy. 30 minutes ago was the single most dangerous event in Waterdeep's history until the next 30 minutes after that. Relatively peaceful day. And then suddenly, all you hear through the city is constant thundering noise. Out near the docks, there are two enormous statues, think like the Colossus of Rhodes. They get up and immediately start running through the bay towards Waterdeep Castle. They go through buildings, they do not stop. Everybody is rightfully concerned when they see on the horizon why the statues were activated. News goes fast. Wizards start casting, sending messages fly everywhere. And in the yawning portal, a tavern built on top of a dungeon sitting next to a portal into the river Styx, there is an immediate announcement. The Tarrasque is coming. And these are just some of the 40 plus creatures we've featured on Kill Every Monster. Listen to the show anywhere you get your podcasts or at killeverymonster.com. And we'll see you next time for Kill Every Monster. Monster.